You're listening to the voice of Rowan Prof Sports. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM, Glassboro. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents Offsides, a weekly roundtable discussion about the world of professional sports, featuring the diverse perspectives of the Rowan Radio Sports Department. And now, here's your host, WGLS-FM Sports Director, Danny Ryan. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM. You're tuned in to RowanRadio.com, Channel 2, with your Monday host, Rowan Radio Sports Director, Danny Ryan, as I'm joined by two distinguished and fine gentlemen, Jack Miller and Chris Cazillo, of the Rowan Radio Sports Department to break down all of the latest news from the professional sports world this past weekend. We have a lot to get into. I'm sure if you tuned into ESPN or TNT at any point this weekend, you saw the NBA All-Star Game and the kind of competitions that was a part of NBA All-Star Weekend, as well as, well, a few bought-out players signing with new teams after the NBA trade deadline. And then we'll wrap things up talking about a little bit of NFL stuff and, uh, well, perhaps where Derek Carr could end up. Had a pretty good visit with a New York team, so we'll uh, get into that later on in the show, and we'll end things out with our top five best dunk contest performances of all time, largely in part due to Mac McClung's performance in the dunk contest on Saturday night. Blue Coats represent Delaware Blue Coats star guard Mac McClung does the impossible, at least what was thought to be impossible, having a G League player in the NBA dunk contest, and I'll be honest, just seeing the height and the build of the other three contestants he was facing, I thought McClung was going to run away with it from the jump just because, one, his athleticism for his height is unreal, but two, you have to have a lot of speed to pull off some of the crazier dunks and win the NBA dunk contest, and he had exactly that. He had not only the versatility to mix things up, jump over somebody if he wants to, jump over two people if he wants to, or if you want to classify it as one and a half, but he just, you know... From ending it with the 540 and all of the dunks, you know, the first dunk especially, jumping over, basically I'll just call it two people, grabbing the ball, hitting it against the backboard, and then throwing down a reverse slam. He even went out to say before the dunk contest that he knows that he could do some stuff that hasn't been seen in the dunk contest before, and he did exactly that. So I'll open the table for discussion, Jack. I'll start with you. Mac McClung, we've been following him all season long. He's been terrific so far this year. You followed him as Delaware Bluecoats play-by-play broadcaster and color commentator. Did you expect this to happen? And if you didn't, what did you expect to happen? <laughs> well, I won't lie. Like I, I expected something good to happen, but I wasn't expecting that. Like because we've, we've all seen from the past few years that this dunk con, like the dunk contest, has been up for debate. If even if it should happen, right? And in my opinion, Mac revived it. Like. He put out stuff that we haven't seen since Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine, right? And they they set the bar high. So he pulling up, pulling out all that stuff uh, on Saturday was absolutely insane. I mean, I've seen him pull off some dunks um, when he's been down at the G League, but it's all been windmill one eighties. There's not, there's I haven't seen him even cross three sixty. So him pulling out a five forty. Almost a 720 really surprised me, and I what I thought was really funny was when after he won the dunk contest, he released his jump program to see it so people can jump like him. So, but I mean, just master marketing right there. Yeah, master marketing. But um, but he 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 set he reset the the 
dunk contest of what it should be. I mean, you got to get some dunkers in there. You can't just throw someone in there that can't really do anything. I mean, seeing Cole Anthony dunk in Timberlands was a joke. I mean, <laughs> like seriously, like like why yeah. would anyone want to see someone dunk in Timberlands? Seriously, like it's yeah. it, it's not a good move for the NBA. So having a guy that actually can dunk, even if he was from the G League and the Sixers just signed him for a two-way just for the dunk contest pretty much. I mean, it's a great it's honestly a great thing for the NBA and it really sparked up the All-Star weekend this year. First Philadelphia 76er to ever win the NBA Slam Dunk contest. I know there was a bit of confusion in the sports department chat if Iguodala won it in 2006. He was beaten out by the midget himself, Nate Robinson, in yeah. 2006. Yeah. So it's pretty crazy. A guy who was signed to a two-way contract the week of the dunk contest becomes the first Philadelphia 76er in franchise history to win the dunk contest. Remarkable stuff from him to absorb the moment and just take it all in and perform the way he did. is so impressive, especially, you know, from a kid his age. And I say kid, he's older than me, but... Think about it. I mean, you're put on that stage. You've never even played in an NBA game on your life unless it's been garbage time minutes. So, you know, you come in as the the former or reigning, I guess you could say, NBA G League Rookie of the Year, and now you're popping off with the Delaware Bluecoats. I'll pose this question now, and Chris, I'll bring you in on this. Is he going to see rotational minutes with the Philadelphia 76ers? And if you don't think he is, should he after that performance, not only in the Rising Stars game, but in the dunk contest? I think he should get some minutes because we saw the way he can dunk, the way that he can he can play on the court. I mean, you could you could see it in the G League. He was popping off. He he put up insane numbers and if you watched him throughout the years, he's shown you that he can he can do it on the basketball court. Um I don't think that he'll get that many minutes, but I think that he will be like a like a number six, number seven on the bench. That's generous. That's pretty mean, generous because I think that he, the reason why he's not coming up is just the people that he has in front of him. I mean, you have Maxi, who plays on the bench, star-level player, but he gets some starting time, but he also has Harden in front of him. And I think the reason because of those two guys of him not getting is and the reason also, he's not there. It's just because they already have two good guards on that team. And right below Maxi is Shake Milton. Exactly. So you don't you don't have a lot of space for him. So it's just it's just unfortunate for him for his situation that I think like I really want to put an asterisk next to first Sixer because he hasn't played any minutes for the Sixers yeah. ever. That's, he just got signed never. to a two-way, and he's just now getting this praise of oh first Sixer to win the dunk contest. I mean he he hasn't played any minutes for the Sixers, so I mean honestly to me it's first blue coat to win a dunk contest. And to be honest with you, I'd be. Very, very much fine with that title if they neither, were to put neither that Neither would to him. I. I mean, it's great for uh, us. It would be great for the Delaware Bluecoats, the G League in general, to see yeah. that not only the players down there are just as talented with some progression and with some you know hard work put in as the players in the actual NBA. And, you know, I kind of agree with you on that point because you're right. He hasn't even slotted a minute in a Philadelphia 76ers uniform. As I talked about, they signed him to a two-way deal the week of the NBA dunk contest. So, for all we knew, he was going into the NBA dunk contest as a Delaware blue coat mm-hmm. until they signed him, and then obviously he repped the Sixers jersey in the dunk contest. But I just want to take a look at his stats real quick in the G League so far this season. So, last year with the South Bay Lakers, um, he averaged 36.3 points. Pardon me. 30, oh, I cannot speak this Monday. Beautiful <laughs> Monday uh, afternoon, by the way. Yeah. I mean, you could not ask for better weather, but... 36.3 minutes per game in 26 games. Played 21.7 points per game. Also averaged 47% from the field, 37% from the three-point line. And uh, nothing really crazy with his other stats. I mean, last year, 7.7 assists per game. That's lowered to now 4.7 assists per game. Uh, and then 
Also, with his rebounds, they were at a high 6.7 last year. They've lowered to 2.2 this year. 19.1 points per game now in 2022-23. He's averaging a terrific clip from beyond the arc, 50%, which is just unheard of in the NBA or in the G League. Mm -hmm. And then also shooting almost 85% from the line. He's taken a step back from last year, but he also has a lot more talented players and teammates around him on the blue coat. So I don't know if these stats truly speak for themselves because as you see him in the field house during the blue coats home games, he looks electric out there every single time he touches the court, whether he's having a good game or a bad game. Well, I want to touch on that because it's not that he has like there are a ton of star players on that team for mm-hmm. for the G League for the blue coats, but it's not that. It's not because of his star players he has that stat line of assists and stuff like that. It's because of how evasive he is. His speed is incredible. He he gets you on the dribble and can get right by you in a split second. And because of that, that means they got to double him. And someone's got to switch to to just guard him in one-on-one at least. And when someone switches off someone, that means someone's open. And he knows who that person's guarding, so he dishes it out to them for wherever location he is under the under the rim or out for three. So he just knows that he's just so quick that sometimes defenses need to switch the, uh, quickly guard him uh, real quick, and and then there's someone open. So I don't think that it's because of the star players. I think it's just because of how quick this guy is, this kid is, that he's get putting up a clip like that. Yeah, and his IQ for his age as well, and you know, considering the league he is in, the NBA G League, it's borderline an NBA-type IQ, and I'm not going to say solidified NBA IQ, but what he's able to do not only in the Blue Coats game, but what we saw in the Rising Stars game. I mean, he always seemed to be in the right spot. Now, granted, they're not trying their hardest there. They're trying harder than the NBA All-Star game players, no doubt about it, and we'll yeah. get into that in a little <laughs> bit. But the Rising Stars players aren't giving it their all. But I'll tell you what, some of them are truly trying to raise their stock, like a guy like Mac McClung, and so... What he was able to do, 10 points in 9 minutes in the Rising Stars game, and then just setting the world on fire through the dunk contest, it really, really is impressive. And honestly, I could talk about Mac McClung the entire show if I had the opportunity to. <laughs> but uh, I will too. Yeah, right? I mean, it's just just so proud to be a Delaware Bluecoats intern after this week. Exactly. It was a great yeah. feeling to see him just put on a show like that because we all knew he could do it, just a matter of would he. And he embraced the moment, like I said, and did exactly that. But I do want to move on to the other competitions from NBA All-Star Weekend. Let's talk about the three-point contest. Now, it wasn't necessarily bad. A veteran in Damian Lillard won the three-point contest, and uh, we saw why after last night's NBA All-Star game. He was pulling up from half-court nearly every shot. But there were a few questionable participants in that uh, NBA three-point contest during the All-Star game, such as Julius Randle, who basically built a house (laughs) during his three-point competition. Come um, on, man. He did, Come man. On. His son's face said it all. Yeah. I mean, it was like, Come oh, on, man, what is going on? I expected him to be, you know, give a little better of a challenge there. Kevin Herter as well. I thought he was going to have a good day. He really didn't show out. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton, a guy who has one of the ugliest shots in the league, made the finals too, which is crazy. Yeah. I don't want to harp too much on the three-point contest, but want to get your initial reaction and what you thought about that competition alone in the All-Star weekend. I thought it was okay the only thing i really liked not liked but the only thing i would change about the three-point contest is that they need to change that starry range that starry range is too close i mean like it's worth three points but it's pretty much the same distance as where the rack is so i would say make that a little deeper for three points um but other than that i mean you can't you can get some players that can shoot better than those guys i mean those guys have had solid clips all year from three so I think just they got under the the wrong lights that night and just didn't for, uh, go out to the way that they would like to. So 
Um, but to be fair, I mean, you, it's hard to make a three pointer in the NBA, no matter what, no yeah. matter who you are. So, um, my only thing is, is I mean, they picked the right players. Don't get me wrong. Um, Did they though? Who who do you think who do you think not deserved it, Danny? Come on. Julius Randle. Uh, how? 000%. But he he had he he's had, shooting thirty three percent from beyond the arc. Thirty three. It's a decent clip. There I are. Would've, I would have said Brunson. There are at least double. Well, that's also New York bias right there. But the, no, yeah. seriously, he's been are, good, he's been good through th- from he has, the three. He has. But you're thinking three. He's point better than shooters. Randall. You're thinking three point shooters here though. Like yeah, he can even, hit threes. I'll even be honest. Like Jason Tatum, I don't think should have been in the three point contest. Tyrese. Oh Held, come on. Just let me. You're just, out of your mind. Let me explain myself. When I think three-point contest, I think sharpshooters. And while those guys can shoot the three-ball and extend the range, you know, and add that part of the puzzle to their game, I don't think that they should be, oh, let's go look at the best three-point shooters in the world compete in the NBA All-Star game or NBA All-Star weekend. I don't hate it, obviously, because they're, you know, he's a good player. Randall's a good player, just not great from three. But I feel like this should be a competition for straight sharpshooters. Like, for example, a Tyler Hero. I know he's expanded his game a little bit, but he's known for his three-ball. He was there. I know, but I would love to, uh, love to see more players like him oh, okay. in the NBA three-point contest. And I'm not even going to make the petition for George Niang. What, you know, just, just guys that have a 35%, 37% and above three-point shooting percentage are strictly known for shooting. I would like to see it you know, catered a little bit more around that area. I know they didn't have Steph Curry this year. Clay obviously didn't participate, and so... Um, you know, you saw a few of those guys, Buddy Heald, uh, Damian Lillard, obviously, he's known for extending his range. But Well, who do you think should have been replacing these guys then? Well, you know, I said no George Niang, but... We're talking about bias now? Come on. He's shooting 42% from three. Wait, would you, have wanted, so. wait, would you have won Anthony Simons over Julius? Yes. 100%. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is he came in for he came in for Anthony uh-huh. Simons. So I mean, that makes sense. Like he should have been in there. I mean, that the those two guards can like Damian Lillard and Simons can shoot for days beyond the arc. So I know I'm a Knicks fan, but Jalen Brunson is good from three. I no, and I I'm not bashing that. But just to my point, like I want to see strictly efficient three-point shooters in that competition. That's, Brunson should have been fair. an All Star. To be honest with you, he I should've. think he should have been an All Star just along with James Harden, but. You know, Isaiah Joe shooting 45% from beyond the arc this season. Wow. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, he's doing some similar numbers over there as well in Denver. Luke Kennard even. Like, I know you don't want to pick these, uh, I guess you could say, you know, small market guys, but you almost have to. I mean, even Damian Lee shooting 43%. But you're calling Herder small, not small market? That, but they're it, also a playoff team this year. They're well, the they're, a pl- they're a playoff team, but they're it's a small market. I mean, the reason you pick guys like, well, I mean, Hero, I mean, Hero has been doing great from beyond the arc, not in the three-point contest, but, I mean, you get you get guys like um, like Tatum and Hero because and Lillard because they're big names, but Herder is not a big name, and nor is the Kings is a big franchise. I know they're a playoff team. I know yeah. they are, but they're not a big market. I mean, so... But- when yeah. I said that, though, I really meant, and I should have worded it better, but I meant just like a big market player, like a guy who you see his name and you're like, oh, I want to tune into that that yeah. three-point contest. And so I feel like, you know, they might not have want to put a bunch of three-point shooters in there that nobody knows, but, you know, there's no reason to me as, a, you know, why a Seth Curry couldn't be in there, so why do you, a so do Dante th- DiVincenzo shooting 41%. Do you think they should expen- expand the amount of contestants in three-point contests then? Because at, th- you, at this point, you're pretty much saying that eight might not be enough. 
Because there's a lot of these guys that can shoot from the on the arc. I wouldn't. I mean, if they did, I would expand it to 10, but that's probably the cap I would put it on. Uh, I do like the 8 format, but I just think that you need to be more selective. Like, there's no reason as to me, or there's no reason to me as to why Jason Tatum, who obviously dropped 55 points? 55, yep. In the NBA All-Star game last night, setting a NBA All-Star game record, he's going to get his moment to shine. If you want to throw him in, in a skills competition, so be it, but... Why does he also have to have the three-point contest? Same with Damian Lillard. Now, he's a great shooter. I'm not really going to argue that point too much. But if a guy of his caliber was in there, he's already an all-star. He's already a, you know, whatever time all-star and uh, been considered for league MVP as Jason Tatum has. So I feel like give some of these other guys their moment to shine. I mean, guess who leads the NBA in three-point percentage? Just take a wild guess. <laughs> I mean, I don't even Steven know. Steven Chenzo. No, he is, uh, he's cl- I mean, he's on there, but he's top 17. He is 17th of top 17. Wow. Malcolm Brogdon, shooting 45.5% from three-point range. And then right behind him is Isaiah Joe at 45.2%. I would, those guys earned it. I'd like to see them in the three-point well, contest. Well, it depends, like, because it could be 47%, but it's also how many shots have they shot. Because yeah. cause the thing is, is you're saying, oh, let's get these smaller guys in here, these small market guys. But how many actual shots are they putting up compared to Tatum, you know? Yeah. That's why they're getting their moments to shine is because – because guys like Tatum are in starting rotations and stuff like that. They, they're they actually shooting the ball. These guys can be shooting the ball five times a game yeah, compared to Tatum shooting it 20 times a game. I mean, you just take a look at some of the contestants. Buddy Heald, he had the, actually has the highest clip of three-point shots in the entire league, but after that, no one really compares to him. He went 230 for 540, or, yeah, 230 for 540 from beyond the arc in the first half, whereas everyone else, I mean, they're going like 101 for 222, 101 for 230, no one really compares to that clip. So Malcolm Brogdon has made 101 threes on 222 attempts. That qualifies. Isaiah Joe, 104 made threes on 230 attempts. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, 109 on 242. You know, the list goes on. But I think, you know, or even a guy like Desmond Bain, you know, 106 on 248 three-pointers attempted. Those guys should see more consideration next season. I'm not too passionate about this. I mean, it was a good three-point contest at the end of the day. But uh, I would love definitely next year to see you know, just strictly three-point shooting guys in the contest, and we might see a lot more competition than a, a Julius Randle or, you know, like I said, I don't hate Jeez. the... Come on. Wait, wait, can all, I... All, I, all I, have a, I have a quick question. I have a all quick question. All hatred aside, that was brutal. And we knew it was going to be brutal. I know. What did you expect? Um, wait, I got a good question. Would you have rather wanted Cat or Embiid in the three-point? Well, Cat's hurt, so... Oh, yeah, if Cat's hurt, healthy, that's right, my bad. If, Cat was, saying, healthy, if he was healthy, who would you rather want in the three-point? Embiid or Cat? When healthy. Cat. Cat. Because he's a better... Th- I mean, Embiid has improved drastically, yeah. don't get yeah. me wrong, but Cat has basically solidified himself now with Gobert in Minnesota as a stretch four. And, I mean, he was in the three-point contest last year, so I'd love to see mm-hmm. it again. But, I mean, it, it's a tough debate. I mean, with the three-pointers you know, three pointers really expanding the game as we know it and it becoming the new norm, it's tough to really, you know, like Jack kind of mentioned, solidify just three-point shooting guys into the three-point shooting contest because now everyone shoots it exactly Um, but sharpshooters definitely need to be prioritized the catch and shoot guys in next year's competition i believe at least and uh, i'll just leave it at that when we come back from break we're going to take a look at the nba all-star game the actual game that the entire weekend was based upon and uh well the denver nuggets head coach mike malone said the all-star game was the worst basketball game ever played in his opinion We'll talk about that and more when we come back from break. Before we go to break, let's check the WGLS campus calendar. Rowan University's Department of Public Safety would like to remind everyone in the Rowan community about crossing Route 322. Or pardon me, 
about the importance of pedestrian safety, especially while crossing Route 322. Motors who fail to stop for pedestrians face serious fines. Please follow state law and stop for pedestrians. For questions about public safety, call 856-256-4922. This campus calendar, as always, is brought to you by Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM, your source for campus news and information. Don't go anywhere. More Monday Offsides action right after these messages. The workday's done. It's time to hit the road. That's where Rowan Radio comes in and the ride at 5. Tune in from 5 to 6 p.m. for the music that matters and the songs you want to listen to. Give us a call or send us a text, and if we've got it in store, we'll play it over the air. But if you just can't get enough of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond, let us pick the music while you drive. That's The Ride at 5, Monday through Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. only on the station with more music than anyone else. Roman Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM. To buy your home, you became a house hunting ace. Learned about loans, scoured neighborhoods, and asked the right questions. Now you're queen of your castle. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you will feel empowered to own your retirement like you own your home. Go to aceyourretirement.org. Because when it comes to clearing financial hurdles, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Radio 89.7 WGLS FM. You're tuned in online at RowanRadio.com channel 2 for Monday's live edition of Offsides with your host, Rowan Radio Sports Director Danny Ryan. I'm alongside Jack Miller and Chris Gazillo of the Rowan Radio Sports Department as we break down the latest and greatest news from the professional sports world over the past weekend. And before we move on from NBA All-Star Weekend just into general NBA news, Briefly, fellas, let's debrief what was the NBA All-Star Game. Team Giannis versus Team LeBron. And now, honestly, I think one of the more entertaining parts of this was the in-person live draft. I enjoyed that, to be honest, because you got to see not only Giannis mess up thinking John Morant was a reserve, which was pretty hilarious, <laughs> um, but also Nikola Jokic picking himself, basically. He later came out to say, or actually Mike Ballone later came out to say that he didn't see Laurie on the stage. He thought he was the last one left. Uh, so he didn't want to disrespect Laurie Markkinen like that. But overall, I want to get your reaction just on the draft itself in comparison. They used to do it on TNT, I believe, two or three days before the game. And now they yeah. did it live as part of the event. What did you think about that? I think it was pretty cool. Um, I like how – I don't know if you would want to pick the reserves first. I think you want to pick the, your starters first so you know – who your reserves can be. And so. the reasoning behind that was so dumb. Too. Yeah. Did you see why Adam Silver said that? He, no, I didn't. He basically said, we're going to pick reserves first so no one can be picked last. The last reserve picked is the person who's picked last. Yeah. Like, you can't avoid it. Yeah. So what, what, what kind of generation do we live in? You're yeah. worried about being the worst all-star selected? And then, it, on. and then it also looks like Laurie Markkinen was the worst one because and he was a starter. I mean. Exactly. Because yeah. he was the last one picked. So You can't avoid it. You can't avoid it no matter what. So, I mean. Unless, like, what they should do is just not, like, if they if he wants to avoid that, what they should do is just not hold the draft live. They should just, 
they should just do do it like out of the way, not in the public at all, and just release the rosters. Yeah, like that's what they should do. They just don't need to do. They don't need to have a draft. That's what Adam Silver is trying to avoid. So, but um, but I th- they had some funny moments in there and whatnot. But I think it was cool that they did it live. But if, as I said, if Adam Silver is trying to avoid that, just not have the draft live at all and just just post the lineups when they come out. You know. What about you, Chris? What did you think about the live draft? I mean. I liked it, but it's it was weird because it's like you you usually see it on TNT and usually see it on TV, but like you saw it live the draft, but you usually see it on TV on TNT. You usually see it like as they're getting picked, but not when the the games before the game's about to start. I mean, it 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 was weird because I I like it on TV because like you get to see Chuck and you get um, Charles Barkley, you get to see Shaq, you get to see all their reactions, and it's. And it's and it's funny on uh, on TV. Yeah, I mean, you get to get a more personable view of it. You get to see really the dialogue between Ernie Johnson, Kenny, Chuck, and Shaq, and uh, the two captains, which were LeBron and Giannis this year. And last year, remember, it was Kevin Durant and LeBron, and then James Harden was the last one on the board. And they, yeah. you get to crack those jokes that you wouldn't typically be able to say on a live NBA national broadcast like the NBA All-Star Game and NBA All-Star Weekend. But I don't know. I, I found it a bit odd as well. Because, I don't know if you guys knew, but this game was supposed to start at 8 p.m. Now, I know you can put out the tip-off times, and, you know, they're... They're subject- always 15 minutes late, so... Yeah, sub- <laughs> show, subject to change and stuff. Uh, they said the draft starts at 7.30. Draft, I believe, started a little bit after 7.30. Game did not even start close to 8 p.m. I believe it was, like, almost 30 to 45 minutes after 8 o'clock by the time the game started. So, wow. in that aspect, I didn't like it because it delayed yeah. the game a lot. I mean... And even, I believe it was Shaq, he mentioned to Chuck, he said, Chuck, I always hated this because not only are they doing the whole draft, now that's a whole new component added to it, but before it was already a long wait leading up to the game. And then all of that waiting, they give you eight minutes to warm up and and try and get loose and play against fellow All-Stars. So if I could change one thing about what they did with the All-Star game this year, it'd probably be that, just speeding up the process a little bit. But then again, they're trying to get as much money out of the TV deals and everything that they can sponsors and such so yeah just more whopper commercials <laughs> exactly <laughs> by the way they are evolving uh, yeah. oh, pardon me evolving terribly like i hear them in my nightmares now. yeah like, yeah it's brutal. they're making like specific sandwich ones now. yeah it's, yeah. it's brutal but exactly i do want to dive into the game and just talk about what happened during the nba all-star game now the new format that was established i believe three years ago if not two Basically resulted in there would be a target score added to the total scores of both teams. You'd have to get 24, or I believe typically it's 24 extra points. It's 24. But, but regardless, it'll show you what score you got to get to. So I, if it's 24, they ended the third quarter at 160, and obviously the target score was 184 for both teams. And now yeah. we kind of saw how that played a little bit bad because now Team LeBron in that game was getting smoked from I would say mid- midway through the third the third quarter on until he got injured. Exactly, yeah. so. uh, which is crazy, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see Shea's post-game comments as a Thunder fan about, oh, I'm going to have one for LeBron next time I see him. <laughs> He said that, uh, yeah, he decided not to play defense until I went up for a layup. <laughs> we'll see. They played twice, I believe, in the month of March, so it'll be interesting to see if he truly does have something for him. But yeah. that target score ended up really making the game not interesting and until the very end when both teams st- you know, kind of just started to chuck from half court and didn't really try as much. It became a six-point game at one point or uh no yeah six-point game 175 to 181 Uh, at that point it was just all said and done and somebody was going to hit a three to end it on team Giannis but 
as I said before, we had to, or before we went to break, Mike Malone, the Denver Nuggets head coach, said that it was the worst basketball game ever played. Jalen Brown, who kind of went toe to toe with uh, his teammate Jason Tatum in the game, has said it was a glorified layup line, and it kind of was. I mean, especially in the final possessions, there nobody was even guarding anyone. I, mean, I know when uh, it came down to Tatum and Brown kind of going toe for toe, they gave them the ISO, and everyone was on the left side of the court. It was laughable, and the screenshots obviously went viral. But Chris, I'll start with you. This format obviously got a lot of praise a few years ago when it was first introduced. Now it's becoming a glorified layup line, as Jalen Brown said, when the game gets out of hand, if one team starts to pull away. Is it time to reconsider the NBA All-Star Game format yet again? I mean, when are they really going to finally get this right? I think they should um, I think they should get rid of it. I really think they should get rid of like the scoring, like they, like as they have it right now. Because it's I mean, and as uh, Moana said, it is a layup because no one, no one in the in the uh, All Star game plays defense no. for the last possession. No one plays defense, and I mean, I mean, why would they? It's a, it's a, it's a fun way to pl- to to interact with each other and just yeah. play basketball. I mean, um, but yeah, I, I would definitely change it. It, it's, it's bad for the game. I, I don't like it at all. What are your thoughts, Jack? I mean, for me, I, it's kind of expected. I mean, it's just what the All Star game has been, and. It's just because no one wants to get injured. That's literally the reason why no one tries in this game because they don't know, mm-hmm. if, like, if they will get injured or not. I mean, you saw LeBron plays defense one time against SGA and he gets injured because he slammed his pinky into the ring. So, um, <laughs> freak injury, by the way. Yeah, but it's like no one wants to get injured, and it's it's there's no point of it anymore because you put all the stars in, but now there's all these like, uh, like keeping these players like ready for the long run and the playoffs and all that stuff. And, I mean, you still see it to this day where some stars won't even play in regular season's game just for conditioning reasons. But, like, like I don't know if you guys saw this of what Anthony Edwards said of, like, mm-hmm. people, like, save all this money to just go to one game, but their star player or their favorite player isn't even playing because they just want to sit out. Yeah. And that's pretty – and they're just doing that. They're just trying to just – they're getting involved in this all-star game because it's part of like their accolade or resume to the hall of fame or whatever, but they don't want to try just because they don't want to get injured for their actual team that they're playing for. And I totally get that. I really do. And it would be silly to give it your all and try completely if you're an NBA all-star and no one I think is expecting that. At least I don't think anyone's expecting that. If you are, your expectations are way too high, but they weren't even trying 50% out of 100 last night, I don't think. No. Like, it was probably a solid 15% of effort from every player on that court, aside from maybe Jason Tatum because he dropped 55, and Donovan Mitchell you could say as well because he dropped 40. But, you know, it got to a point where halfway through the third quarter I was seeing a bunch of Damian Lillard half-court shots, and while it was cool to see him make one, I I don't know. It, it got really tacky really fast, I felt. And if you can improve that, like I said, even get the players to put 50% of effort in, commit to the play until it really gets down to in the in the paint finishing at the rack like that's where it gets tricky because you saw LeBron get hurt there you see guys fall to the floor hard and really get uh an injury that keeps them out for an extended period of time but if you could try about 50 percent if you want to give up as soon as you're getting really bullied down there in the paint so be it you don't you know if you want to just try and prevent injuries as many ways as you can while still putting some effort into it but you know last night's performance I just feel like can't be accepted as an NBA all-star game even if you're just standing in front of the guy and like I said as he gets to the paint as he starts to back you down 
you ease up a bit, so be it. But don't just have it be, as Jalen Brown said, a glorified layup line. At the end of the day, it wasn't the most unentertaining thing. I still had a good time, like I said, seeing Damian Lillard hit a few half-court shots, Jason Tatum breaking the all-time points record in a single All-Star game, and then obviously him going toe-to-toe with Jalen Brown. But serious improvements have to be made. I still like the target score in the fourth quarter, though. I would keep that, but there's got to be some incentive for these players aside from the charity, which it sounds messed up, but there has to be some incentive aside from the money being donated to charity because... It was really lackluster as far as effort goes last night. We're going to stick with the NBA and move on from the NBA All-Star Game and NBA All-Star Weekend in Salt Lake City. And let's talk about the buyout market. We have a few updates from the NBA buyout market. Russell Westbrook was traded to the Utah Jazz at the NBA trade deadline. Finally bought out by the Utah Jazz this morning and signs with the Los Angeles Clippers. He won't have to move, stays at the same stadium, and he'll join his former Oklahoma City teammate Paul George, as well as Kawhi Leonard with the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, this is very interesting to see Russell Westbrook go to Los Angeles, really based on what role they'll use him in. Now, we saw him get kind of used off the bench, but also seeing a lot of crunch time minutes with the Lakers. John Wall came off the bench a lot of the time for the Clippers when he was a Clipper, do we see Russell Westbrook kind of form into that John Wall role, or does he take a bigger step? Does L.A. trust him more, uh, the L.A. Clippers, that, that being? I think I think he'll be a starter because they, they don't have a pure starter right now at point guard. I um, And I actually like uh, Russell Westbrook going to the Lakers because he'll have his former teammate and he'll have yeah. a and he'll have a Kawhi Leonard who we, who we can just facilitate the ball to or find the wide-open guy. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, their starter at point guard right now is Terrence Mann. He's a young guy they have a lot of confidence in. I mean, fairly young. He's 26, averaging 9.2 a game on 3.8 uh, rebounds and 2.2 assists. What do you do if you're the Los Angeles Clippers, Jack? Do you, you know, just say, hey, Russell Westbrook is more talented. He's an NBA legend. He can get us better minutes than Terrence Mann and throw him in that starter spot? Or do you want his electricity or whatever electricity is left off the bench? I want him starting. I want him to be involved in this offense a lot because he's with his former teammate, Paul George. I mean, we saw him. I mean, he put up still those triple-double numbers that we saw back in 2017, 2018, 2019 uh, with Paul George on his on his team. So, And now he also has Kawhi Leonard on his team, and they have Plumlee as well. I mean, I like I like them getting Plumlee so, um, at center. So these the Clippers are trying to form late, and I like it a lot. It's kind of like the Braves in the MLB. They got a lot in the trade deadline, right? And this is their way to push towards the end. So um, I think it's a great move to get uh, Russell Westbrook because you get him with his former teammate, and he's comfortable with playing with Paul George because he played at that dominance level that he played at, that quote-unquote stat pad level you know, Mm -hmm. that he liked playing at. So uh, I'm happy for Westbrook, and I'm happy for the Clippers for what they – uh, the combination that they were able to create uh, on with their lineup. Let's not forget, too, and you mentioned the moves they made at the deadline. They have Bones Highland now that they can kind of yeah. rotate in at the guard position. Since the NBA trade deadline, they have acquired Eric Gordon, Mason Plumley, Bones Highland, and now Russell Westbrook. Not a bad uh, midway point in the NBA season. No. No. If you are the Los Angeles Clippers, did I mention Mason Plumley? I know you yeah, alluded yeah. to yeah. him earlier, but you know they filled a lot of holes that they did have. Their depth is looking great right now. To be honest, though, I'm going to have to disagree with both of you. I don't think Russell Westbrook should be starting for this team. And the only reason I think (laughs) that— That's crazy. It's not crazy. He's not at the point in his career where he should be a solidified starter, and here's why. He's better than Terrence, man. 
He is, but is he better than Bones Highland? Would you rather Bones Highland be on the starting lineup and have him take a lesser role, just shoot it when he has to, facilitate when he has to, or would you rather Russell Westbrook, who we've seen his you know his three point shot, his mid range shot kind of evaporate over the past few years, shooting twenty nine point six percent from beyond this season, and he obviously with during his time with the Lakers, he had some questionable IQ. Some questionable decision decisions, pardon me, down the stretch, really in like the fourth quarter of games. It's such a tough decision to make, in my opinion. But I'm really, I'm gonna at least start Russell Westbrook off the bench for the Clippers. I I want to see what he can do, you know, with, with a cast like Norman Powell, Nicholas Batum, Eric Gordon. I feel like if he just has those guys around and maybe throw in a Paul George starter, because no one's saying you can't rotate some starters with Westbrook off the bench. You could still do that and leave a Kawhi or a Paul George in, and obviously. This is one of the more heavy load management teams in the league, so if any of those guys were to go down, I'm sure Russell Westbrook would be thrown right into the starting rotation, but I don't know. I just see him fitting more in a bench role at the moment, have him be the general off the bench. You can throw any guy in there uh, at point guard between Terrence Mann and Bones Highland. I think they'll get the job done because the primary ball handlers in that starting lineup, they're Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, but to me, this is... This is Russ. I mean, for me, like, Russ, I mean, this is OKC bias coming in. But, like, <laughs> like seriously, like, Russ can play at that level, right? And I've been a huge voucher for Russ. For, and, and I just want to clarify, I'm mm-hmm. not disagreeing. I yeah. know he can, but continue. So, for me, Russ was in the wrong lineup. Wrong playbook, right? Russ was, like, to me, Russ needs to be the main ball handler, right? Paul George, you don't need to give him the ball first to be good. Kawhi Leonard, same thing, right? Mason Plumley, same thing. You don't need they don't need the ball to be good, right? Russell Westbrook has to be the main ball handler of the team and he can be that when he's the point guard and starting lineup. And when he has LeBron on his team, LeBron is he's the point guard. He's yep. he's the guy that needs the ball to be good and that's that's the way he's been for the since 2003. With Westbrook, he couldn't he couldn't do that, right? He was just that other side piece that was just trying to just just trying to roll along with uh with LeBron and AD, right? And he the way that the Lakers use the point guard position, it's not the way that Westbrook likes to play. He like Westbrook likes to facilitate and do things at the rim and, and also occasionally pop from three. But he was shooting these fadeaway mid ranges that he's never shot before. He was shooting these like catch and shoot stuff that not typically he does. He's a pull up off the dribble three point shooter. And then he's a, also a dribble guy. He doesn't dribble that much when he's with LeBron. And if he is dribbling on the court, that's just where he's successful. And he he just wasn't that with the Lakers. So that's why his numbers have depleted with the Lakers. So him being with guys that don't use the ball as much to need, or to be successful is great for Westbrook and might bump his numbers up a little bit. I'm excited. I want him to start just because... These guys on the Clippers don't need the ball first to be good. Yeah, and you make a good point there because they're not pass-first guys like LeBron is. Paul George isn't, yeah. Kawhi Leonard isn't, but they're score-first guys. And I feel like if you can get them the ball out of, you know, in the half-court transition offense, I don't know. I just think that you have to play to their strengths, and whether it be iso ball, we know how good of a shooter Paul George can be, but Kawhi Leonard solely thrives in the mid-range, sometimes the three ball if he's open, and iso ball. Like getting down and dirty in the paint and getting to the rack and scoring. And I would like to see him really prioritize that and do that more often between him and Paul George. And I think that Russell Westbrook puts a bump in the road if you put him in the starting lineup. But here's the thing, like that 
it's pretty much the same situation as OKC when they had Melo. Melo was a mid-range that guy. That was a disaster, though. It was. Don't it get was. me wrong. It was a disaster. It was one of the, like I mean, it was a great big three that was expected to do great, right? But it, it fell, right? It fell apart. But it's the same situation. Did he put up the same numbers as he did in his MVP year? Yes, he did. And Melo is this played the same way. I'm not saying at the time, like now we know he's not even in the NBA anymore. But like at the time, he was that mid-range shooter. Paul George is still Paul George, and now Westbrook can get to that level, right? Mm-hmm. So he's in the same situation. He just has one different player, but has the same mentality as one of his as one of his ex teammates. So he's in a great spot right now. My only rebuttal to that will be when Carmelo Anthony was in New York and he kind of got shadow banned by the league, and then um, you know the Thunder and the Rockets and so on. But when he was in New York, he was he needed the ball at all times to really score. I mean, occasionally you could find him in the mid range, you could pull up for a mid range shot, but he was a primarily ball handling forward that would score in the ISO game. He would score on pull-up threes, whatever you needed him to do, get down and dirty to the rack. He was a pretty good finisher in those days as well. And Kawhi Leonard, I think, is just a better version of that. And I'm not denying that. I think he's a better version of that, and that's why, honestly, my argument will be I think that's why it won't work the way you think it will with Russell Westbrook because of that sole reason. He scores with the ball in his hands. He has to develop his own shot. It takes him... I'd probably say five to six, if not seven seconds, to really get down and dirty and develop a move in the paint. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, I'm referring to. So let's be clear, though. If he gets put in the starting lineup, it's not going to be the worst thing in the world. But what you have to factor in with Oklahoma City is Billy Donovan had been catering that playbook around Russell Westbrook ever since Kevin Durant left. I mean, it was the Russell Westbrook show. Yeah. And so you're going to know how to use a guy regardless of what pieces you put in there. Now can Tyron Lue put, you know, do the same with a Westbrook who's just on the decline? And whether that be the situation he was in with the Lakers the past two years or he's just becoming a worse player, who knows at the moment he might give us that answer with Los Angeles and the Clippers. But to your point as well, and we'll move on right after this, he's averaging 7.5 assists per game. His assist numbers are still up. 6.2 rebounds. They're a bit down from last season. But, you know, aside from the shooting, everything else he does is fairly good aside from questionable decisions he makes in crunch time. And you explained it perfectly as well. He was tasked with doing things that he hadn't normally done throughout his career, especially at this point in his career, and uh, it made him look a lot worse with the Lakers. So long story short, I'm expecting a better Russell Westbrook with the Clippers just because I think Tyron Lue's a better coach. In yeah. all honesty, Darvin Ham has really disappointed me this season. He's had some uh, challenges, but he's definitely could have handled them a bit better and led them to a better record. Uh, but overall, interesting signing by the Los Angeles Clippers. They get Russell Westbrook to really fill that guard void. They had two young guards in Bones Highland and Terrence Mann occupying those positions before, but now they get a true veteran in Russell Westbrook. Speaking of true veterans, Kevin Love agreed to a buyout with the Cleveland Cavaliers, immediately signs with the Miami Heat to join Jimmy Butler in that squad. I don't want to talk about this too much because Kevin Love is not who he used to be, but I feel like a lot of people are kind of overlooking the season he had last year when the Cavs were starting to compete again. He was one of the better three-point shooters on that team, one of the better rebounders and defenders. How big of a signing is this for Miami? Um, it's not that big, but it, but it's it's a good signing for them. It gives them good depth off the bench because he's not he's not that that starter that he usually that he was when he was with the Cavs. Um, he's gonna he's gonna hit the three ball sometime. Um, I think. He's gonna give you good good defense off the bench. Mm-hmm. He he's good in the paint and he's also good in the three. But it's not that big of a it's it's big, it's but depth. it's it's 
Right. It's that's what I was, that's what I'm saying. It's depth, but it it helps. Um, it doesn't. It takes the pressure off of Bam, so we can do more things. Yeah, and it also gives them some more veteran leadership. Just looking at their bench in general, I mean, formerly Haywood Highsmith, former Delaware Bluecoat, was occupying the backup forward position along with Max Struess. They were kind of uh, fluctuating in between small forward and power forward. But now you don't have to rely on a former G Leaguer in that spot in Haywood Highsmith. Just came out of the G League last season to join the Heat. So now you get a, a veteran guy in Kevin Love who, as Chris mentioned, can rebound, can shoot the three when he's on. Uh, but overall just has been there and has done that for a team that's looking to win another championship. Jack? I think we can all agree that this isn't a huge signing. I mean, Kevin Love isn't the best at this point in his career, but it's definitely an interesting one considering how well he's able to rebound for his size. He's not the most ripped player out there, but he looks like it at times with how he's able to you know, just out-rebound guys and box them out. Do you think this is not a huge move for the Heat, but a needed move for the Heat? It's a needed move. Uh, they needed someone. I mean, they made nothing. They made no moves that they should have made. Um in the trade deadline so they needed a power forward i I have a friend who's a heat who's a heat fan um and he's like we pretty much need anything at this point so one of the two main things though was they needed a point guard and a power forward i mean you kind of satisfied it with the power forward of kevin love right but that's not obviously who they're looking for they're a big market team they're looking for a big guy that can play power forward or point guard or something right so um so they needed something. They got something, not what they truly needed, but it's a step in the right direction, but not as a big as a step that they want. Because you know the Heat, they love to compete. I mean, that's just who they are. That's who they've been since LeBron. So they've always liked to compete, and I don't know if they're going to compete as far as they would want to or like to, but it's it's a little step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, like we talked about, and like me and Chris mentioned, it's depth. And that's, that's really all it is at this point. And anything higher than that is an absolute win. It's a great signing for the Heat. But, you know, they lose Dwayne Dedman. They uh, released him. And so they needed some height down there on the bench, but also someone who could shoot the ball a little bit more. And uh, they, hopefully they got that with Kevin Love, at least for the Heat's organization's sake. As a Philadelphia 76ers fan, hopefully he does not thrive in Miami as he was considering Philadelphia as one of his two teams. He said, uh, or he didn't say it, but Adrian Wojnarowski came out and said that the Heat are still the favorites before he signed with them, but he is going to speak with the Philadelphia 76ers before he makes his decision. They obviously did not, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, flatter him enough in the negotiation (laughs) process. So Kevin Love to the Miami Heat, Russell Westbrook to the Los Angeles Clippers, and as of... Well, it looks like, what, 10 minutes ago? Myers Leonard, back in the NBA, yeah. signing a 10-day contract with the Milwaukee Bucks. If you don't know why Miles Leonard was out of the NBA, please look up Miles Leonard Twitch stream, and you will find out immediately yeah. one of the more controversial stories in the past year, two years, really. And, uh, yeah, Myers Leonard somehow, some way, finding himself back in the NBA with a championship-contending team like the Milwaukee Bucks. That'll just about do it for our NBA segment here on today's edition of Offsides. We're going to head to break real quick, but when we come back, we'll briefly discuss some news from around the NFL and then dive right into our top five segment of today's show. Top five best dunk contest performances of all time. Before we head to break, though, it's time to check the WGLS community calendar. The Samaritan Center is a program that helps Glassboro residents with economic difficulties by providing free food once per month. 
You can give back to your community by donating food, clothes, or by volunteering your time. Email glassboroughfoodbank at gmail.com or visit online at glassboroughfoodbank.org for more information. This community calendar is brought to you by Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM, your source for community news and information. Don't go anywhere. Our top five segment and brief NFL talk right after these messages. Tune in to Rowan Radio for a community affair with me, WGLS-FM Public Affairs Director Megan Steckler. Each week, I'll discuss with local and national newsmakers topics that affect you and your community. Get a closer look at these important issues from the people who know them best. That's a community affair the third Saturday of every month at 9 a.m. right here on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM and also online at rowanradio.com. Wake up with Rowan Radio for the Early Birds Special. Every weekday starting at 7 a.m., our hosts will help you get through your morning with entertaining stories and special giveaways, plus news, weather, traffic, and, of course, the music that matters. Start your day off right with the Early Birds Special every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m., only on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM, also online at rowanradio.com. Welcome back here to our Monday live edition of Offsides, Monday, February 20th, 2023. I'm your host, Rowan Radio Sports Director Danny Ryan, alongside Sports Department members Jack Miller and Chris Gazillo as we hop into the latter segment of today's episode. Let's touch on the NFL a little bit. We are officially in the offseason for the National Football League, which means, well, the storylines are brewing, players are visiting teams they might be joining, and well, players are also talking with teams they might be leaving soon. Hint, hint, a little Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley talk <laughs> for later on in this segment. Thanks, but, guys. Thanks. <laughs> of course, of course. I do want to talk about the other quarterback that has uh, been kind of rumored to be joining the other New York team, and that is Derek Carr. Derek Carr visited with the Jets today, and it apparently went very well, according to ESPN's Jeff Darlington. The Jets view him as, quote, a great quarterback and believe, now this is the kicker, and believe he could lead them to a championship. What? Not out of the realm, I out of the guess, line. if you add DeAndre Hopkins and Devontae Adams, but we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> what are your thoughts on this news? Not only that the meeting went well, but that they were so impressed that they would classify him as a great quarterback and that he could win them a championship. Jack? Uh, I mean, he's not all that. I mean, come on. like he. I think he was the second he had the second most interceptions behind Dak, right? I'm assuming. I'm gonna check on that. For I you. think I think he was, but Dak's not that great. I mean, you you had all these pieces this year, and you kind of crumble like that. I mean, my opinion. I mean, he's at the same status. I was talking to uh, Nick Carlson on it with third and along. In my opinion, he's at the same status. I mean, like value wise, value wise, money value um, as Daniel Jones. That's just me though. But. Um, he, he hasn't done too much, but he's been in the league for some time where he can get you somewhere in the league if you give him the right pieces. But, I mean, even if you give him pieces sometimes, I mean, their offensive line was in shambles. But Derek Carr, I mean, he's he's a quarterback. He's a, he's a solid quarterback. 
I wouldn't put the title of great though on him. Apparently, Daniel Jones' value is forty-five million dollars these days. Apparently, so you think Derek Carr is worth forty-five million dollars? No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, me personally, Daniel Jones is worth about twenty-five million, mm-hmm. um, around twenty-five, thirty million. And I would say Derek Carr is around twenty to twenty-five million. Okay. So that's just, that's that's where I the similar values is for me. Chris, what are your thoughts on this news coming from ESPN's Jeff Darlington? I'm not surprised that they had a great meeting, but I'm surprised on how just blown away they are with Derek Carr, his skill set. I know he's always been a great leader on and off the field, but do you buy into this? He's a great quarterback and could lead the currently constructed Jets roster to a championship at some point in the next three to five years. I think he's a good quarterback. I don't think he's a great quarterback. Um, the if when they said that he was like that he could that they could take him to the that he could take them to the championship is just crazy. I mean, he had Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro and Josh Jacobs, and he couldn't do anything with that. And I understand that the offensive line in Vegas was uh, for the Raiders was bad, but coach wasn't great either. Uh, that is true, but I don't think the Jets have enough players around Derek Carr to take that. I mean, their offense is is okay. I mean, Zach Wilson wasn't that wasn't that good. Um that's, that's putting it nicely. <laughs> Zach Wilson was terrible. Couldn't <laughs> there you go. couldn't couldn't throw. <laughs> he threw more interceptions. Yeah. Um but it's just um I think I don't think he here I'm going to say this. I don't think that he's going to go to the Jets. I'm going to be honest. I really? don't think I think I think he's going to go to the Dolphins. Whoa. I, Whoa! The Dolphins? I think, hear me out. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. Because because of how many times Tua has been hurt, I don't think they want to jeopardize him. Because if he gets hurt again, his career is done. Okay. Because of, because of how many concussions he's had, he's had like well, like three or four, he right? Had two, I believe, just in the past season alone. Yeah. And you and you saw the way that he that he that he was when he went down with the with the injury. So I think I think they could. I think Miami can go out and get him. Miami can go out and get Derek Carr. I mean, it it would help them. I mean, but Teddy, to me, Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, obviously he's not that dude, but like, no. I wouldn't mind trying out Tua and going and trying out like Teddy Bridgewater. You know, like Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, he's done he's done stuff for the Vikings. He's done stuff for other teams, but like, I wouldn't mind putting Teddy Bridgewater. And I think it'd just be a waste of of money to just sign Derek Carr if you're the Dolphins. I mean, you'd have three solid quarterbacks in my opinion um that can actually play football you know um so i wouldn't go out and waste the money on well, on Derek carr unless they decide to trade Tua. that's a different story though yeah you make a good point too because teddy bridgewater at this point in his career is nothing better than a crappy band-aid and so but it's still a band-aid it's still a band-aid no <laughs> doubt about it it's not like a nathan peterman out here yeah exactly but to chris's point as well and this kind of puts things full circle for me now. If Tua were to go down, it's not a temporary injury, a short-term injury. You need somebody that can just do more than put the Band-Aid on. And now also to Chris's point, if they were to go out and get a Derek Carr or even someone above his ability, you know, let's just say an Aaron Rodgers because it's the first name that comes to mind right now, Tua would be gone. He would be traded away for another asset, a draft pick, whatever the case may be to fill a hole on that roster. So I don't think you'd have the opportunity to try Tua out, and then if he doesn't do well, Derek Carr comes in to save the day. Um, They would have to, quite frankly, go all in. They would have to go all in and get the quarterback they want and just hope he doesn't get hurt and give up on the Tua project. And I don't think that's going to happen, honestly, because they selected him top five. They're holding on to that, and he has shown flashes, let's be honest. I mean, 
Does he underthrow a lot of his receivers? Yes. yes. But does he have an arm? Yes. You have to tap into it. So it's all about getting the most out of Tua that you can and protecting him as much as you can. Bolster that offensive line. Do whatever you have to do. But I don't know. Derek Carr just doesn't make sense then for me. I really don't see it. If anything, I see Derek Carr, and unfortunately for him, going to the Carolina Panthers if he doesn't go to the Jets. Uh, another team I could see, maybe the Atlanta Falcons, if they want to you know, really just, um, what's the word I'm looking for, develop Desmond Ritter a little bit more before you give him that starting role, if you ever are going to give him that starting role. Even a team like the Indianapolis Colts seems like such a Derek Carr fit if they don't go with a quarterback in the draft. But definitely an interesting visit for Derek Carr to the New York Jets. I'm going to agree with both of you guys. They are not championship contenders. I mean, no. they did have the offensive rookie of the year and the defensive rookie of the year. Even if but they sign, contenders. even if they sign Rodgers, they're not a championship contender team. Like, like seriously. Ooh, I don't know about that, Jim. Really? You want? <laughs> I would agree with Jack. They are not a championship team at but, all. Uh, come on. I don't know, look man. At, look you, at their, you don't know what they look have. Look at their offense. You don't know what they have in their offense, though. Exactly. Look at it because they weren't able to tap into it last year. I mean, you had, obviously, Garrett Wilson, who was terrific, but what about the one disgruntled receiver who wasn't getting targeted the entire year and was speaking out on Zach Wilson the entire year? Maybe he can produce. You know, you never know what this team really has if they have a non-Mike White, a non-Zach Wilson, a non-Joe Flacco under center. So I wouldn't go as far to agree they're not a championship contender with Aaron Rodgers, but I can definitely agree they're not with Derek Carr. So you're, so you're telling me that the uh, the New York Jets with Aaron Rodgers is going to be is going to be the team like a bang like the Bengals, the Bills in their own division, the Chiefs, the Chiefs. Like, you're telling me they're going to outbeat those guys. Thing is, though, if they go in for a guy like Aaron Rodgers, they're going all in. So that's not the last move they're making. They well, have all. Well, then who who else do you think they would sign if they signed Rodgers? They would have to bring in. I think if they don't value. By the way, I'm a. Uh, Oh, wow. Chicago Bulls are nearing a deal with Patrick Beverly. That's interesting. That is interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. But, no, I think that you would have to maybe pick up another receiver. And w- what was his name, the guy who was speaking out on Zach Wilson Elijah Moore? last year? Elijah Moore. If you don't think you have a lot in him, if you don't think that he is what he was cracked up to be and it wasn't just Zach Wilson limiting him, get another receiver. There's going to be a few in the market this season, not only in the free agent market but on the trade block. So you could definitely make a few calls for that. Um, but overall, I think if you're the – New York Jets, you have a good, you know, another good draft as they did last season, and you get that quarterback that you think can take you to the next level, and then just fill in the pieces from there. Use the Howie Roseman strategy, I guess you could say, because, you know, he, let's just take the Super Bowl year in 2017 for example. He knew what he had in Carson Wentz. He might have saw that he was going to take that next step, and he really filled out all the positions around him. Now, I will go back on my point and say, currently constructed with Aaron Rodgers, just slipped into the picture. I can disagree with that. That's not happening. But you have to take into consideration they're going to make substantial moves if they go for a guy like Aaron Rodgers. And if they do that and surround him with the pieces he needs, I mean, the Jets are already a better offense than the Packers if you put him there. No doubt about it. The weapons Mm -hmm. they have are already much improved. And so he was almost able to lead the very bad Packers. And I only say very bad because they should have been much better. But the 8-9 and Packers who missed the playoffs, he almost led them there. He could definitely lead the Jets there now. Championship is a different you know, type of discussion because you talk about the Bills, the Bengals, the Chiefs, but I think they definitely have a chance. I think they could contend for it if the right moves were made. Interesting discussion to have. You know, Aaron Rodgers is still in discussion to go to New York and the Jets, so we'll see where that ends up. But I do want to end off with our NFL segment on one more move or acquisition, I guess you could say. Eric B. Enemy. We were talking about Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. They just won the 2022-23 championship. 
And, uh, well, he decided to leave after that. They've reached three Super Bowls. He's won two of them. Or actually, they've reached yeah, four Super Bowls. Am I, am I incorrect no, you're about three. that? you're three. three, three it's three. four seasons. In four seasons, they've been to three, three Super, Super Bowls. Three Super Bowls and one, two. And one, okay. two of them. So that happens. Yeah. You have the greatest quarterback of all time. Not, not of all time, but... Of this cur- generation. Currently generation. active. Greatest active quarterback and could be the greatest quarterback of all time uh, when it's all said and done. And arguably an offensive mastermind that helps your job out a little bit more in Andy Reid. And you leave to go join Ron Rivera in Washington to be a part of the Commanders. And now the only way I can see this move making sense is if he's really doing that last-ditch effort to try and become a head coach. And he thinks that if he performs well enough in Washington, he could step up and take over that role from Ron Rivera. That's the only way it makes sense to me. But, Jack, what was your initial reaction when you saw this news break? I was a little surprised because... But at the same time, not. Um, I was surprised because he left. Um, but at the same time, I'm not surprised that he left because because Andy Reid has been this guy that's been able to produce these offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, any kind of other coach besides head coach, right? Into um, guys that can take head coaching jobs. I mean, look at McDermott at the at the Bills. He was with he was with the Eagles. I mean, Harbaugh was with the Eagles when when Andy Reid was coaching with them. You ha- and Ron Rivera was with them as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these guys have coached or been in the system with Andy Reid at some point. So I'm surprised that he didn't take a head coaching job. I'm surprised that he went to a different team to be an offensive co- mm-hmm. coordinator. But um, him trying to expand to other teams, uh, that's a great move for the commanders, in my opinion, just because they have a struggling offense, with their, especially with their quarterback situation. So bringing in a guy like him, I mean – they're going to they're gonna figure it out easily and try and get the best quarterback that they can on that commander's team. And it's looking like it's going to be Sam Howell if they don't make any moves this offseason, yeah. as Ron Rivera said last week. It just It's such a puzzling move because of all he had in Kansas City, and I'll just go back to harp that point again. I mean, you leave one of the greatest head coaches of all time. You leave one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time already, and he's barely been in the league for what? He's been the starter for four years now, you you said? Yeah. It's just unbelievable to really think about it for a second. Now he goes and joins the Washington Commanders, who were the Washington football team for a year and have basically been the laughingstock of the NFL, at least for the past three years. FedEx Field as well has been the laughingstock field of the league for the past three years, or honestly past decade, you could say. And so he must see some potential in this offense. I mean, their offense is pretty good. Let's not lie. I mean, they have some decent receivers. Their running game looked pretty good last year, but... Sam Howell must be that dude if he's willing to really move across that far and go all the way to the commanders. Like I said, it really chalks up to he's looking to take over Ron Rivera's job or just increase his stock so much to show the NFL what he can do with an offense led by Sam Howell that he'll get a head coaching job next year. It all remains to be seen, obviously, and we'll see how he really propels this offense. I agree with you. Great move for the commanders. But what was your initial reaction after rumors were floating around for a few days that he went to the commanders to be their O.C.? I was a bit shocked because you have this great team, the Chiefs around. You have the, you have the, you're um, you're OC of the Chiefs, and you've won like three Super Bowls. Two. Two Super Bowls. Two. My, my yeah, sorry, good. I've won, they've won two Super Bowls, and now you're going to a command a Commanders team who hasn't won anything, and um, it's even though it's a good move for the Commanders, um, I I I didn't agree actually with Vanderme leaving. I know. It was probably it was probably for the money, mm-hmm. because the Chiefs weren't gonna, weren't giving them that much, um, but they have like the Commanders have a good team around them. But it just I don't see 
how um how is gonna turn Sam Howell into like a into like one of the into like a great quarterback. I don't see it. I mean, he did have a pretty good last game of the season yeah. against the Dallas Cowboys to kind of clinch the NFC for the Eagles. So, you know, at least from just a flashes standpoint, he definitely showed them. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he made that Cowboys team look bad, and he looked pretty electric. I won't, I won't lie. He looked like he had the chip on his shoulder. He had the talent, clearly. But that's a one-game sample size. And so yeah. to try and invest that much into this quarterback, do you think the commanders are making a mistake here? I mean, you have to try it out, give him a chance at least, and... I think if it doesn't work through, let's say, six, maybe seven games, if they give them that long of a leash next season, they'll go in a different direction. But what do you think a enemy howl led offense will look like? I mean, in all honesty. I don't know. I'm kind of excited for it. I mean, we don't know what to expect with these two come, uh, button heads, but I think it's going to be fun to watch no matter what. Um, it might be a little scary at times. Who knows? We could see Sam Howell develop, but um, I'm excited for uh, a guy that's been coaching Patrick Mahomes for the past few years to a guy that just just got into the league not too long ago. Uh, just jump in uh, with this offense to see what they can do. And, I mean, you said it. Like, Hal had this great one game. I mean, that's one sample size, but we don't know what the rest that he can do. But we'll see. I mean, it's just all up in the air of what, we can, uh, what we'll see down the line from these two. And I'm kind of excited to see what Sam Howe can do with the new offensive coordinator. Another interesting thing to consider as well, all Eric Bieniemy has ever known is Patrick Mahomes. He took over as the offense coordinator the year they named him the starter. So yeah. it's going to be a learning curve, 100,000%. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see, at least in the beginning of the year, if they come out hot or if they come out looking stale like the Broncos did last year. It's kind of hard to repeat that performance that the Broncos put up last <laughs> year, but still an interesting signing by the Washington Commanders. They get their offensive coordinator in Eric Bieniemy. Certainly has the resume to take over that job. It's just a matter of will he be able to elevate the defensive-minded Ron Rivera's offense? Well, we shall see. That'll just about do it for our NFL segment in today's episode. It's time to finally hop into our top five segment of today's show. It's top five best dunk contest performances of all time in honor of Mr. Mac McClung. Mac Attack just wowing the entire world with his performance in the dunk contest. Jack, is your list ready? Oh, it's ready. I'll start with you. Okay, so uh, I'll go from yeah, I'll go from five to one. So uh, you usually do have an honorable mention. I do not. Yes. But uh, for five, I have Mac McClung. I mean, he just revived the the dunk contest in my opinion, and he was great. For me, for four, I have Levine in 2016, and for three, I have Vince Carter in 2000 with uh, with all that, and then number two, I have Michael Jordan in '88. I mean. He created his logo in the dunk contest. I mean, I mean, how do you? That, that's kind of that's really cool to have. And then for uh, number one, I have Aaron Gordon in 2016, which he really got robbed of. But um, that's my list, and uh, I kind of hope that Gordon comes back. I mean, we saw him have a great poster dunk, but he said he might, but he didn't. But I think yeah. it'd be cool to see him back in the dunk contest, maybe in the next year or so. But who knows? It's we'll always see. nice to see a duo that just battle it out in that final round. And yeah. if McClung, which I'm assuming they'll invite him back next year, he said he would love to come back. If you could get a McClung-Gordon dunk contest, yeah. especially in the final, that would be fairly good. Now, to have four competitive dunkers that really could make a case for the uh, dunk contest championship, that would be even better. But I'm glad I didn't ask the question I wanted to ask you because you mentioned 2016 Zach Levine. And I was going to say, hey, well, who did you think performed better in that dunk contest? Yeah. But I'm glad you put Aaron Gordon yeah. at one because 
you're right. I mean, the creativity he put in his dunks, exactly. I think it just outweighed the dunks that Zach Levine was pulling off because they were very similar, back-to-back dunks that looked, you know, similar to each other as they did when he first went for it. And so, you know, he won the year prior as well. I thought he was robbed, and they were just, you know, infatuated with his high flying ability. But Chris, I'll go to you. Give me your top five best dunk contest performances of all time. I'll go from one to five. Okay. So one, I have Vince Carter in two thousand. Two, I have uh, Jordan in what was it ninety eighty eight eighty eight. Yeah. Um. Three, I have Levine in twenty sixteen. Four, I have Gordon. Wow. I know. I know. Wow. <laughs> and five, I have Tracy McGrady, and I think it was when. Well, I forgot when he was in the dunk contest. I forgot. When was he in the- We'll get on it for you. Uh, I couldn't tell you. For you. I forgot he was even in the dunk contest, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, to be honest. But- I mean, we've had some crazy ones. And the crazy thing is, it's, uh, by the way, he was in the 2000 dunk contest most also recently, 2000. at least. So he lost to Vince Carter in that dunk contest. But it's so weird with these dunk contests, too, because you don't get, you know, aside from 2015-16, two great back-to-back dunk contests. That was probably the most rare occurrence we'll ever see the 2015 and 16 seasons so just to see one that is good like you said Mac McClung kind of saved it and brought it back to life because it showed the NBA what a dunk contest can be if executed correctly if you get the right contestants in it and so on that note you know you mentioned I do my honorable mention for every top five (laughs) Mac McClung number six my honorable mention didn't quite crack that top five for me yet as much as I'd love to throw him in there I think at this point it would be a recency bias and also Sixers bias as a Philadelphia 76ers fan, so I respect you putting it in there. (laughs) But I'm going to throw him at my number six spot, honorable mention. Number five, I'm going to go with 2009, Mr. Midget. I don't know why I like calling him that today, but Nate Robinson pulls off the dunk contest win. What he was able to do in 2006, and then again in 2009. I mean, you don't see a guy, you know, we we talked about Mac McClung at 6'2 doing what he did. Talk about a guy who's under six foot and Nate Robinson doing what he did, not only to compete in the dunk contest for two years, but win it. Two yeah. years. I mean, that's crazy, man. Yeah. What he was able to do in that three-year stretch was just unbelievable. He comes in at number five for me. Number four, I have 2015 Zach Levine. Wow, did that rejuvenate. You talk about rejuvenating the dunk contest. He did exactly that that year and uh, really put the dunk contest on the map again, similar to what Mac McClung did this year, and then the next year they got it perfectly right. So let's hope they do that again next season. <laughs> uh, number three, I have 2011 Blake Griffin jumping over Kia. Has to Come be. Come on, really? has to be right there, man. It was. Nah. It was a monumental no. one in slam dunk history, just because he, he didn't did even that, want I to think. do the dunk. He I don't didn't care. Want to jump over a car, but he did. I don't <laughs> care. He jumped over a dang car and he won the dunk contest. Wasn't even the the tallest part of the car. It was the hood. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> it's you have to admit when you think dunk contest. That picture, or at least that image, pops into your mind somewhere of Blake Griffin jumping over the Kia. So I feel like it has to be in my top five, just because of how, not historic, but iconic it was. So maybe it could have been lower on my list, but I'm going to stand by it. Number three, Blake Griffin in 2011. And then my top two are pretty cookie cutter. 2000, Vince Carter comes in at number two. It's over, ladies and gentlemen. It's over. I mean, that's all you can do. Mac McClung... Um, you know, doing a nice tribute to Vince Carter with the, it's over. Yeah. And uh, that was pretty cool to see this past weekend. So yeah. he's always going to make a top five when you talk dunk contests. And the numero uno, 2016, the battle between Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon. And I'm right on Jack's side here. I have to go with Aaron Gordon was robbed. Yeah. Award that man his 2016 dunk contest trophy because 
you know, the mascot on the hoverboard, and then the mascot on the hoverboard doing spins, and he yeah. perfectly times it to palm it and then slam it home. I mean, he didn't palm it; he cradled it because he grabbed it and then that's right, and yeah, windmilled it. Like, it, was, it was nuts. Even more impressive if you palmed it, but to cradle it and to yeah. time it up perfectly, like you literally have to leave at the exact right time in mm-hmm. order to time that perfectly. Credit also to the mascot that was in that suit, the guy that was yeah. in that mascot suit. I mean, he was a big part in that that yeah. win as well, or the almost win. As uh, we mentioned, he got robbed in 2016. But that's my top five. I think, you know, aside from Blake Griffin, everything else was pretty cookie cutter. But I wanted to throw Blake in there just because it was iconic. You know, he jumped over a Kia. It was between him or Dwight Howard and Superman. So (laughs) I went with Blake Griffin. Got to show my big men some love. But uh, anyways, that's how we're going to wrap up here on this edition of Offsides. I've been Danny Ryan. They have been Jack Miller and Chris Gazillo. We're all signing off on this Monday. February 20th, 2023. Thank you all so much for tuning in. As always, you can listen live on RowanRadio.com channel 2 for more episodes of Offsides every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. And check out the podcasted version wherever you find your podcast by searching Rowan Radio Sports. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and have a great rest of your week. You've been listening to Offsides, a weekly roundtable discussion about the world of professional sports featuring the diverse perspectives of the Rowan Radio Sports Department. Tune in next Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. for another edition of Offsides, only on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM.